Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lopez. Hello, Susanna here. Sometimes it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys, and often the good guys get burnout, like Lizzie in today's Scarlet Stiletto Bite. Slashers Return by Jackie Horwood, 2003 Scarlet Stiletto winner. It's 11 o'clock in the morning, and I am Empress of all I survey. Well, true, what I'm surveying doesn't amount to much. A large rectangular room, its walls covered by layers and layers of faded and fading posters. A pool table jammed into one corner and a broken jukebox collecting dust in the other. A spray of battle-weary wooden tables and shabby plastic chairs litter a threadbare carpet of an indeterminable colour and pattern. Dirty windows line two walls. It's sunny outside, but you wouldn't know it from in here. Still, the pub is well known, having been voted the grungiest pub in Melbourne. No mean feat, I have to tell you. I wiped the bar clean with a wet cloth and cast an eye down one end, where Percy and Gill are silently enjoying their third beers of the day. Their glasses are three quarters empty, so I pour two more. Ta, love. I've been here for eight months, and it's been my one constant link to human beings. My handful of shifts keeps me sane. Occasionally on busy nights, I look around the room and see a face I remember from my former life. I marvel at how well I remember the person's details, their life story. A few times I've noticed someone studying me with a frown. I know they're trying to place me somewhere. I don't worry that they'll remember. It's unlikely that the last time they saw me, I was wearing a tight T-shirt and a pair of faded black jeans, pouring drinks in the grungiest pub in Melbourne. Things have changed since my meltdown. My life, my friends, my ambitions. Many of my former work colleagues have disappeared. Superstitious, scared that my demons may tap them on the shoulder. Scared too by vulnerability. The door to the public bar switches open. A solid man in a shabby grey suit saunters in. He steps out of the shadows and a neon shower lights his face, catching the hooded dark eyes and a large blotched nose, catching me unawares. 
I take an involuntary step backwards and scan round me for a quick exit. Three big steps and the man is leaning over the bar. His beefy hands are like baseball mitts and they splay out across the full mica in front of me. I glimpse his knuckles to confirm my suspicions. A patchwork of faded blue tattoos covers his skin. Crucifixes, spiders' webs, people's names, a living history. It's him. I lift my face and look him straight in the eyes. What would you like? I ask, although I already know the answer. Scotch and Coke. The man shifts his bulk onto a bar stool and waits as I pour his drink. I place the glass on the coaster in front of him and take his money. It's him. The shift manager, Joe, taps me on the shoulder. Smoke Lizzie. I'll take over. I nod and walk away, leaving Joe with the man. I grab my handbag and stumble outside, shading my eyes and squinting into the bright sunlight. I usually go behind the pub into the smelly back lane for a smoke, but today I sit on a park bench on the main street. From there I can watch the door to the public bar. I light up a cigarette and pull out my mobile phone. The man in the pub, sitting there with his scotch and coke and no conscience, is a drug dealer. Big time, manufacturer and trafficker of methamphetamine. Close cohort of bikies and crims, not known to the public, not interested in becoming a legend like other crims in Melbourne, quiet, unobtrusive and a murderer. His name is Byron Penrose. Byron, of all the names for a criminal. His friends lack the education to appreciate the irony and call him Slasher. There's a story attached to the nickname, but it's unpleasant, just as you'd imagine. I tap my left foot on the concrete beneath me and think. Debate with myself and fiddle with the mobile. Finally, I punch in a number as familiar to me as my own name. Brett Johnson. Jono, it's, it's Lizzie. Guess who just walked into the pub? Who? he asks. Slasher Penrose. There's a barely perceptible intake of breath and a pause. Are you sure? There's a cautious note in his voice, and I grimace. Jono, I've been depressed, not delusional. He sighs. Oh, I'm not doubting you. I flick ash from my cigarette and watch as it tumble turns in the breeze. Okay, Lizzie, I'm on my way. The line goes dead. I stub my cigarette onto the concrete below and head back to the pub. Percy and Gill are waiting expectantly with empty glasses. Slashers nowhere to be seen. In between me leaving the park bench and walking back to the bar, he has gone. Jono and Mick swing through the front door. Mick with slick back dark hair like a seal and Jono with short dark blonde hair. Dark suits and dark sunglasses. Jono catches my eye. He 
tilts his head toward one end of the bar, away from Percy and Gill. Where is he? he asks. Gone now, I say. Mick cocks an eyebrow at Jono. Are you sure it was him? asks Jono. I fold my arms tightly across my chest, sensing that a nervous breakdown has now labelled me as being flaky. Mick is unable to meet my eyes. Yeah, I'm sure. Jono picks up on my body language. We're, we're not doubting you, Lizzie. We just need to be sure you're right. A dry cough interrupts us. We look down the bar and Percy is facing us. <laughs> the lady copper's right. He was here. Who was? asks Mick. Slasher Penrose. I smile at Percy. You've just earned yourself a freebie, Purse. Jono shrugs. Well, I guess we'll start checking out all his old haunts. Mick puts on his blank copper's face. He says, I'll believe it when I see it. Like he can't believe the word of two drunks and one nervous wreck. Jono turns to me as he leaves. Stay in touch, Lizzie. After they are gone, I pour Percy and Gil two pots. You called me Lady Copper, Purse. How'd you know? Percy and Gil dissolve into phlegmy laughter. They sit in front of me cackling like emphysemic hens. Percy's laughter subsides and he says, Once a copper, always a copper. True enough. Hours later I finish my shift and go home to an empty flat. I'm living with my mother. A woman in her 60s with the social life I had in my 20s. Tonight is bingo night. In the shower, I wash away the ever-present smell of stale beer and post-mix coke. I stand in the middle of the torrent of hot water and my body trembles. Slash a penrose. Where had that bastard been? When I first learned of Slash a penrose, I'd just started a six-month secondment with the drug squad. Our major project was getting enough evidence to bring him down. I turn off the shower but linger in the damp warmth and semi-darkness. If it wasn't so uncomfortable, I would curl up and lie on the tiles. It all seemed so straightforward. One of our undercover operatives was to meet with Slasher in a warehouse in Fitzroy and pay for a kilogram of methamphetamine. Jono and I placed listening devices in the warehouse and wired our operative for sound. Everything was set for the bust. Slasher was waiting in the warehouse and we were waiting nearby to make the arrest. I wrap myself in a towel and pad from the bathroom to my bedroom, throw back the doona and jump in my bed, damp and naked, scared and lonely. Into the middle of our setup wandered a 16-year-old girl, innocently making her weekly secret rendezvous with a boy her parents hated. She crawled through a camouflaged hole into the warehouse, a hole none of us knew about. Crawled through the hole and straight into Slasher. He reacted by pulling out a gun and shooting her. He ran and disappeared into the laneways of Fitzroy before we could react. We were left with a mess.
There was no evidence that Slasher had been in the warehouse. He hadn't spoken, so our tapes were useless. We hadn't taken photos of him arriving, and our undercover cop hadn't seen him. Slasher was nowhere to be found. All his family and friends swore black and blue that he hadn't been around for days, that they thought he'd been interstate. From there on in, my life began to unravel. I dragged myself off to bed and put on my flannel pyjamas. My mirror mocks me. Who's the fairest of them all? Not me. Not right now. Pale skin and dull eyes. Hair that hangs like a tattered curtain past my shoulders. There was an internal investigation into our disastrous operation. My husband chose that moment to leave me a blunt goodbye note. One morning in the shower, I I started crying and I couldn't stop. The force agreed to give me a year's leave without pay. So here I am, 37 years of age, living with my mum, working part-time in a pub. In three weeks' time, my year's leave without pay will be over and I'll have to decide my future. Stay in blue or move on. Right now, I can't even decide what to have for dinner. On my days off, I like to sit in other people's pubs. I'm sitting in possibly the second grungiest pub in Melbourne. There are two old drunks at the bar, and the barmaid is studying the room like she is empress of all she surveys. A couple of old-timers are sitting at the nearby table, huddled over a form guide. A battered transistor radio sits between them, squawking like a parrot. I occupy my time by doing the crossword in one of the daily newspapers. Halfway through the crossword, the door swings open. I look up. It's Slasher. What's going on? For the past week, half of Victoria Police had been unable to find neither hide nor hair of him. And I seem to have a Slasher magnet on me. He is not alone. My legs twitch, ready to turn and run, and I can feel my heart flip into a calypso beat. I grip my pen until my knuckles gleam white and will myself to stay put. Slasher and his companion sit at the table, close to mine. Slasher sits with his back to me. The other man goes to the bar and asks for two scotch and cokes. As he walks back, I give him a surreptitious glance from under my eyelashes. He's in his mid-thirties and has the the bloated features of a man who has enjoyed the high life. He's not bad-looking, I can tell he was once handsome. Now he hides his thickening waist underneath a baggy floral shirt. He seems familiar. I go through my mental files and can't find a match. I definitely know him from the past. Slasher and the younger man talk with their heads together their voices low and urgent. I fix my eyes on the crossword and nibble the end of my pen while my ears strain to pick up crumbs of the conversation. I pretend to scribble letters into the empty boxes. It's difficult to hear anything, but I catch a few words. Nothing that makes sense. 
My head aches from trying to listen and trying to remember from where I know the other man. An old-timer has a win and whoops with pleasure. He proclaims that all drinks are on the house, last of the big spenders. Slasher and his friend finish their drinks and seem to come to an agreement. They stand and head for the door. A glint of metal catches my eye and I notice a gold object dangling from the belt of the younger man. I recognise it as an old membership medallion from a nightclub that was popular in the late 90s. (laughs) A light bulb goes off and I realise who the younger man is and coupled with the handful of words I picked up from their conversation, I have an idea of what is going on. The younger man is Mark O'Toole. Back in 97, he used to be a regular feature in the doorway of a number of King Street nightclubs. There was always rumour and innuendo that, apart from providing security, he was involved in criminal activity, but because he was always on the periphery of the action, the police ignored him to chase the bigger fish. I'd heard ages ago that Mark now was a part owner in a couple of clubs in Melbourne. A leap from the periphery to the nucleus. I sit back in my chair and ask myself, what I think a methamphetamine dealer and a nightclub owner would be up to. I answer myself, fake ecstasy. It hadn't taken the methamphetamine manufacturers in Victoria long to cash in on the popularity of ecstasy. Since the late 90s, the market had been flooded with fakes, made with methamphetamine and a mixture of other powdered substances like paracetamol and sea sickness tablets. It appears that Slasher is now busy staking a claim in the business. After Slasher has gone, I pull out my mobile phone and creep off to the toilets. In one of the grimy cubicles, I ring Jono. I sigh as I listen to his voicemail message. I'm at the Pier Hotel. Slasher was just here. He had someone else with him. Remember Margot Tool? No prizes for guessing what they're up to. Anyway, I heard a couple of things. Their meeting tonight at 10pm. Unfortunately, all I heard about the meeting place was that it's a car park behind a shed. Give me a call when you can. I come home to an empty flat. Mum is at ballroom dancing. I heat up a piece of two-day-old barbecue chicken pizza in the microwave before flopping onto the couch. My head throbs. I peek at my wristwatch. The nightly news will be starting in 10 minutes. I reach for the remote control and switch on the television. Light and colour flicker before my tired eyes. Loud voices exhort me to buy, buy, buy. The news starts, although I barely register what's going on. Something about local politicians brawling about taxes, news, deja vu. The faces change, but the script is always the same. The news finishes with the usual good news story. Smiling faces and positive chat. An exhibition of some sort at the Melbourne Exhibition Centre. The camera pans along the rectangular grey building with its sloping roof. A pinprick of interest wakes me from my stupor. 
The exhibition centre was commissioned by the previous state government by the previous Premier, Jeff Kennett. At the time, it caught the nickname Jeff's Shed, and it has stuck. I go out to my car and bring back the Melways roadmap. The patchwork of black and blue lines show me that there is a car park behind the exhibition centre close to the Yarra River. The exhibition centre is also not far away from the nightclub district in King Street. I smile in amusement to note that the car park is also across the river from Victoria Police Headquarters. I close the mailways and lean back on the couch. So, do I take this seriously? I imagine the tone of Jono's voice after telling him my hunch. Definitely not worth the humiliation. I have two options. I can ignore my hunch and settle in for the evening. Or I can do what I'm trained to do. For the next hour, I trace figure eights around the furniture, turning things over and over, tossing a mental coin. Best two of three. Get hold of yourself, I say, finally. Just go down there and have a look. Much to gain and nothing to lose. I change out of my sweat-stained T-shirt and into a black long-sleeved top. I put on sturdy work boots and tie my hair back. I have no gun, so I arm myself with my mobile phone and a shaky attitude. At nine o'clock, I leave a note for Mum on the kitchen bench. Don't wait up out chasing drug dealers. I start the car and drive off without waiting for the engine to warm up. If I give myself too much time to think now, I'll just go back inside. The Monday night streets of Melbourne are quiet and full of loitering taxis. I park the car in Whiteman Street, close to where the St Kilda and Port Melbourne trams turn off Clarendon Street. Over the road, the casino burns as bright as ever. The exhibition centre, however, is empty and dark. Nothing to exhibit. Nothing to attract attention. I walk around the back of the centre, through the shadows and the back car park, past additional exhibition spaces to the main car park, to where I think Slash's meeting will take place. The car park is expansive and very open, with little foliage to soften its edges. Ten or so cars are dotted about in random parking spaces. I look around for somewhere to hide and come up empty. There are a couple of unoccupied yellow toll booths, but they're too far away from likely meeting spots. On the far side of the car park, running parallel to the Yarra River, is a long line of grey and white buildings. They are business spaces, money for event and catering companies. I notice that each business has covered steps leading up to their front doors. Maybe I can wedge myself somewhere behind those stairs. The car park is fairly well lit, but in one corner, close to the grey and white buildings, there were patches of darkness caused by broken lights. Not a bad place for a clandestine meeting. A quick examination reveals the space under one set of stairs is covered by worn palings in need of repair and a fresh coat of paint. I wiggle a couple of the palings loose and squeeze myself into the space under the steps. 
It's 9.45 and I'm squatting amongst spiderwebs, used condoms and God knows what else. Empress of all I survey. <laughs> I peer between the timber slats and have a view of most of the car park. A set of headlights illuminates the car park and I hear the dull rumble of a big old car. Sure enough, a Ford Fairlane sidles up close to where I'm hiding. The driver pauses for a moment before rolling the car into a parking spot. The door cracks open and the interior light catches Slash's face. My eyes widen in disbelief. My hunch has paid off. Slasher lights up a cigarette and leans against the bonnet of his car. Arms crossed, he waits. I edge back from my viewing position and pull out my mobile phone. I dial Jono's number with trembling fingers again. I get his voicemail. Irritated, I whisper a terse message telling him where I am and urging him to get himself down here. Slasher sits on the bonnet smoking and waiting. Ten slow minutes meander past and I'm developing a cramp in my left calf. I've forgotten just how boring surveillance can be. A navy blue Commodore slips in alongside Slasher's car. Marco tool parks and emerges from the car a briefcase in his hand. He nods to Slasher and sits beside him on the Fairlane's bonnet. They exchange a few words and lapse into silence. I frown and wonder if they're waiting for someone else. A few more minutes lumber past. Another car appears and parks beside the Commodore. The driver gets out and I hold my breath as I wait to see who it is. I gasp and tumble backwards, landing in the dirt and dust with a thud. It's Mick. He opens the boot of his car and pulls out a large leather suitcase. What the hell is going on? From where I sit, I can still see the action. I watch, trying to interpret what I'm seeing. I wonder if Mick is undercover, but he's dressed as he normally would be as a detective. There is no attempt to behave like anyone other and who he is. Maybe he's trying to get them to think he's a, a copper gone bad. The more I watch, the more I'm confused and frightened. Mick is over there, being Mick. I remember him not being able to meet my eyes and I shake my head in disbelief. Another thought settles uncomfortably in the pit of my stomach. How much of this does Jono know about? When we were working together, working as partners, Jono and I told each other everything. And what wasn't shared, we'd find out about anyway. I don't want to believe he's involved. But his unanswered mobile phone nags at me. He knows where I am and what I've seen. I have to get out of here. I don't want to find out where Jono's heart truly lies. The three men head my way. I back into a corner, 
trying to disappear into the black, hoping one of them doesn't look between the cracks of the steps. They thump over my head like a stampede of cattle and open the door. Fear now drives me, picking at my skin like vultures. I shove aside the wooden palings and throw myself out into the car park and I start to run. Hey, what do you think you're doing? I turn in fright. Mick stands at the top of the steps, unlit cigarette in one hand and a look of complete surprise on his face. Shit, he says when he realises who I am. He pulls out a gun and shouts to Slasher and O'Toole. I duck between the cars, desperately searching for the quickest way to escape. Crouching near the driver's door of O'Toole's car, I notice he's left his keys in the ignition. Keeping low, I open the door and crawl into the car. The window above me shatters and I yelp. Glass confetti covers my head and shoulders and grinds into the backs of my legs as I sit on the driver's seat. Fingers wet with sweat, I start the engine. Bullets crack the bonnet and roof of the car. Mick clatters down the steps, yelling and waving his gun. I slam the car into reverse and hit the accelerator. I reverse and keep reversing, keeping my head down and hoping I won't back into anything. I peer over the dashboard. The three men are diving into Mick's car. I do a backwards U-turn and put the car into drive and drive headlong at two police cars. Lights flashing and sirens screaming. They swerve around me and skid to a halt. Behind them is an unmarked police car, Jono at the helm. Over there! Over there! I shout, pointing to Mick's car, which is by now heading in the opposite direction. The police cars race away in a cloud of dust. Jono jumps out of his car. You okay? he asks. I catch my breath. And to my surprise, smile. I feel good. Really good. I smile again. That was a rush. John A gives me a hug. I ask him, Did you know about Mick? He nods. Yeah, we did. I was busy installing listening devices in his house when I got your voice message. I grimace. Speed things up, did I? Jono laughs and puts his arm round me, leading me to his car. You've saved me a lot of boring hours of surveillance. Don't I know it? It's eleven o'clock in the morning, and I am empress of all I survey. A squad room full of noisy detectives and a desk loaded with files. Someone else will have to pull Percy and Gill's next beer. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.org.au.